Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, You know, we should spend a little bit of time talking about Independence Day, July 4th, and the Declaration of Independence. And, uh, of course, talks about natural law. And uh, let's refresh our recollection a little bit about this. The, uh, and let me start it this way. I point out in Rediscovering Americanism, it's fitting that we start this with the final letter written by one of America's greatest founders, Thomas Jefferson. And he wrote it on June 24, 1826, about 10 days before he died. And he was quite ill, and he suffered horribly. And he wrote to Roger Waitman from Monticello, declining his invitation to participate in the 50th anniversary celebration of the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson would become bedridden two days later and die on July 4th, the same day his good friend and later years John Adams passed away, a few hours later, same day. By the way, what other president died on July 4th among the founders. James Monroe died on July 4th, although not on the same day as Jefferson and Adams. And Adams reportedly said on his deathbed, Jefferson lives because he didn't know that Jefferson had died in the morning and Adams would die in the afternoon. Very interesting men. They started out as quite good friends as they got to know each other. Different political parties, they came to detest each other, 
they would openly criticize each other. Jefferson sought to defeat Adams, uh, and did defeat Adams. And then as they got older, their friendship was rekindled. And they would write a lot back and forth, and I have a book filled with their letters back and forth. And Adams was more the writer, but Jefferson too. In great pain from numerous ailments, and now writing with his left hand, since he had earlier broken his right hand, which had not healed properly, in his final letter, Jefferson wrote, responding to an inquiry, Respected sir, the kind invitation I received from you on the part of the citizens of the city of Washington to be present with them at their celebration of the 50th anniversary of American independence. As one of the surviving signers of an instrument pregnant with our own and the fate of the world, it's most flattering to myself and heightened by the honorable accompaniment proposed for the comfort of such a journey. It adds sensibly to the sufferings of sickness to be deprived by it of a personal participation in the rejoicings of that day. Keep in mind, he's very sick when he's writing this. But acquiescence is a duty under circumstances not placed among those we are permitted to control. I should indeed, with peculiar delight, have met and exchanged their congratulations personally with the small band, the remnant of the host of worthies who joined with us on that day, and the bold and doubtful election we were to make for our country between submission or the sword, and have enjoyed with them the consolatory fact that our fellow citizens, after half a century of experience and prosperity, continue to approve the choice we made. May it be, I believe it will be, to some parts sooner, others later, but finally to all, the signal of arousing men to burst the chains under which monkish ignorance and superstition have persuaded them to bind themselves and assume the blessings and security of self-government. That form which we have substituted restores the free right to the unbounded exercise of reason and freedom of opinion. All eyes are opened, or opening, to the rights of man. The general spread of the light of science is already laid open to every view. The palpable truth that the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles in their backs, nor a favored few booted and spurred, ready to ride them legitimately by the grace of God. These are grounds of hope for others. For ourselves, let the annual return to this day forever refresh our recollections of these rites and an undiminished devotion to them. And he closes it, I will ask permission here to express the pleasure with which I should have met my ancient neighbors of the city of Washington and of its vicinities, with whom I passed so many years of a pleasing social intercourse. An intercourse was so much relieved the anxieties of the public cares and left impressions so deeply engraven in my affections as never to be forgotten. With my regret that ill health forbids me the gratification of an acceptance, be pleased to receive for yourself and those for whom you write the assurance of my highest respect and friendly attachments. Thomas Jefferson. Really, just about ten days before he passes away. And, of course, the great Declaration of Independence. You know, there were five drafts. There was a committee of five. Sherman, Livingston, Franklin, 
John Adams and Jefferson. And Adams and Jefferson were tasked with the job of drafting the Declaration. And Adams said that Jefferson is the best writer among the two and among the five. And Jefferson was only 33 years old, but he was a brilliant, brilliant man. So it was left to him. And so it started out when in the course of human events. It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, to assume among the powers of earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, in the last third of the Declaration of Independence, there's a list of grievances against the Crown. And among those in an early draft of the Declaration of Independence by Jefferson was the opposition to slavery. And the, and the fact that the British kept exporting slaves into the United States. These southern delegates, some of them, objected. And so that was dropped. You see, they were already in the middle of a revolutionary war. Lexington and Concord had already happened. Boston was under siege. Battles were already occurring in and around Massachusetts and New York. And they needed to proceed. The near universal appeal of this wording and their principles among America's founders is underscored further in other important historic documents. The Virginia Declaration of Rights was actually adopted on June 12, 1776, predating the Declaration of Independence by a few weeks. It was principally drafted by George Mason who would also play a significant role at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. The prominence of the Virginia Declaration is indisputable, as some of its language was in fact borrowed by Jefferson in drafting the Declaration. And Franklin Adams, John and Sam Adams, used similar language in drafting future declarations of rights and constitutions for their own states. So Section 1 of the Virginia Declaration provides that all men are by nature equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights of which, when they enter into a state of society, they cannot by any compact deprive or divest their posterity, namely, the enjoyment of life and liberty, with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Just listen to those words. These are inherent rights, and no state, society, or people can take them away. The Pennsylvania Declaration of Rights was adopted on August 6, 1776. The main author was Franklin. And in Section 1, it states, listen to the similarities, that all men are born equally free and independent and have certain natural, inherent, and inalienable rights, amongst which are the enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Article 1 of the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights, adopted on in 1780, 
and whose authors included John and Sam Adams, states, All men are born free and equal and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties, that of acquiring and possessing and protecting property, and fine, that of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. But it's the Declaration that rightly stands as the formal consensus proclamation of America's independence and founding. After several iterations, it was adopted by the Second Continental Congress, which had initially convened in Philadelphia in May 1775 after the battles of Lexington and Concord. All the colonies were represented. And while most of the delegates initially opposed independence, as Congress's entreaties for peace were met with intensified British military aggression, it became clear that the colonies would have to choose either independence or subjugation. And they chose independence against the most powerful military force in the world, which was already occupying parts of America. On May 8, 1825, 49 years after the adoption of the Declaration of Independence, in a letter replying to Henry Lee about the source of the ideas and language in the Declaration, Jefferson succinctly explained... Quote, with respect to our rights and the acts of the British government contravening those rights, there was but one opinion on this side of the water. All American Whigs thought alike on these subjects. When forced, therefore, to resort to arms for redress and appeal to the tribunal of the world was deemed proper for our justification. This was the object of the Declaration of Independence, not to find out new principles or new arguments, never before thought of, not merely to say things which had never been said before, but to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent and to justify ourselves in the independent stand we are compelled to take. Neither aiming at ordinary ordinary or, or principle or sentiment, nor yet copied from any particular and previous writing, it was intended to be an expression of the American mind and to give to that expression the proper tone and spirit called for by the occasion. All in its authority rests then on the harmonizing sentiments of the day, whether expressed in conversation, in letters, printed essays, or in the elementary books of public right, as Aristotle, Cicero, Locke, Sidney, and others. The historical documents you mention, as in your possession, ought all to be found, and I am persuaded you will find, to be corroborative of the facts and principles advanced in the Declaration. I'm going to have to take a break. He wrote that letter, 1825. Fifty years later was born a movement. They called themselves progressives. It was a movement based in the ideology and the writings of a German. A German philosopher who spent a lot of time in Britain. And his name was Karl Marx. The progressives, toward the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, rejected Jefferson, the Declaration, and the Constitution. They embraced major fundamental aspects and principles of Marxism. You know, after Karl Marx died, he was not embraced for decades. He was not celebrated 
That would come about 30 to 40 years later. More when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. If you like what I'm discussing with you now, I want to strongly suggest on this crucially important July 4th weekend, that we're in a battle of our own kind right now. In many ways, much more complex and complicated, much more daunting. When we have individuals in our own government and we have surrogates in parts of our culture and society that are supposed to keep a check on these individuals in government, defending them, promoting them, and trying to tear down and smear people who object to what's taking place, we have a very, very heavy burden and responsibility. We do. Those of us who love this country and freedom, property rights, Constitution, and yes, the Declaration. I would like to strongly encourage you, while you have a three-day weekend, many of you, to jump in and acquire your pre-order copies, first edition copies of American Marxism. The way I'm walking you through history here is the way I walk you through what's taking place in our country today. Not just things you already know, things you don't know. Otherwise, what's the point of having the book? And I pray to God. I pray to God there are millions of us, still millions of us, who embrace our history, who embrace these unalienable rights and these principles. And if you're one of them, this book is for you, it's for your family, it's for your friends and neighbors. 40% 40% off or so at Amazon.com, American Marxism. More when I return. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. 
Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, the conscience of conservatism. Call Mark now at 877-381-3811. You know, as they point out at history.com, Even after uh, armed hostilities broke out between the American colonists and British forces in 1775, many prominent colonists seemed reluctant to consider the idea of actually breaking away from Britain, and instead insisted they were still its loyal subjects, even as they resisted what they saw as its tyrannical laws and unfair taxation. And I might add as a footnote, some of the states, including Georgia and South Carolina, were selling an abundance of cotton to Britain, and they were never all 100% in on the Revolutionary War. As a matter of fact, their populations were about split down the middle. But a single 47-page pamphlet, a single 47-page pamphlet at a time, 47 pages was a lot of printing. That's the 18th century equivalent of a paperback book. Did a lot to quickly change that and shift American sentiment toward independence. Common Sense, written by Thomas Paine, first published in Philadelphia in January 1776, before the the Second Continental Congress met in July, obviously, was in part a scathing polemic against the injustice of rule by a king. But its author also made an equally eloquent argument that Americans had a unique opportunity to change the course of history by creating a new sort of government which people were free and had the power to rule themselves. He said, We have every opportunity and every encouragement before us to form the noblest, purest constitution on the face of the earth. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. Centuries before the existence of the Internet, common sense managed to go viral, selling an estimated 500,000 copies. Now there were about 2.5 million people in the United States, or America. So think about that. By the end of the Revolutionary War, an estimated half a million copies were in circulation throughout the colonies. By promoting the idea of American exceptionalism and the need to form a new nation to realize its promise, Paine's pamphlet not only attracted public support for the revolution, but put the rebellion's leaders under pressure to declare independence. And even after the victory over the British, Paine's influence persisted. Some of his ideas found their way into the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Very, very important, isn't it? And so then on the other side, to give you one example of a relative handful of so-called intellectuals who rejected everything about the Revolution, the Declaration, and the Constitution. Rejected capitalism. These are the real founding fathers of the so-called progressive movement, which I am renaming the American Marxists. 
One of them is Herbert Crowley, C-R-O-L-Y. He was born in 1869, and he died in 1930. He was among the leading academic and progressive thinkers. He co-founded the magazine The New Republic, and he wrote a book called The Promise of American Life in 1909, which was the Bible of the hard left, as it would turn out, and a central book among his fellow intellectuals and Certain powerful politicians, including Theodore Roosevelt, who was a hardline so-called progressive, just so you know. And among other things, Crowley argued that to conceive the better American future as a consummation which will take care of itself, as the necessary result of our customary conditions, institutions, and ideas, persistent in such a consumption admirably designed to deprive American life of any promise at all. In other words... Forget about everything that came before. Forget about it. The better future with Americans proposed to build is nothing if not an idea which must in certain essential respects emancipate them from their past. American history contains much matter for pride and congratulation and much matter for regret and humiliation. Americans must be prepared to sacrifice to that tradition, even the traditional American ways of realizing it. Such a sacrifice is, I believe, coming to be demanded. And unless it is made, American life will gradually cease to have any specific promise. So he's trashing the founding, he's trashing our history. Sound like anybody familiar to you? Like an entire political party and the media and so forth? So the American heritage and founding principles are to be thrust aside if there's to be human progress. They are dismissed as outmoded and obstructive, impeding the pursuit of utopian ends, for they are unconnected to the present. Man, society, this is me in my book, Rediscovering Americanism. And the political and governing systems must be pliable to meet the special conditions of the day, subject to the commands of a consolidated and amalgamated ruling class. This requires far-reaching change in education. The culture. This book was written four years ago, five years ago. And the American mindset, in particular the sacred rights of individual, paramount under the Declaration of Independence's order, are said to be an old notion of individualism. They must give way to the new individual, where the individual is subjugated to the mortal power of the state in the name of the general will and greater good. Now this guy Crowley continued... He said, the individual American will never obtain a sufficiently complete chance of self-expression until the American nation has earnestly undertaken and measurably achieved the realization of its collective purpose. He said, it is the economic individualism of our existing national system which inflicts the most serious damage on American individuality. And American individual achievement in politics and science and the arts will remain partially impoverished as long as our fellow countrymen neglect or refuse systematically to regulate the distribution of wealth in the national interest. I am aware the prevailing American conviction is absolutely contradicting of the foregoing assertion. Americans have always associated individual freedom with the unlimited popular enjoyment of all available economic opportunities. Yet it would be far more true to say that the popular enjoyment of practically unrestricted economic opportunities is precisely the condition that makes for individual bondage. So now you can understand when I'm talking about Marx's influence. And there's no doubt about it. 
So in order to clear the way for the new progressive state, the fundamental objectives of which are largely antithetical to the American founding, its principles, its institutions, is to attack American history. Crowley continues, both historically and theoretically, the American system is based upon an affirmation of popular political authority. When the colonists proclaimed their independence of the British crown and parliament, the repudiated sovereign had to be replaced with a capable substitute, and this substitute could consist under the circumstances only of the supposed makers of the revolution, the American people as a whole. And after the Declaration of Independence, the people, whoever they were and however their power was to be organized and expressed, became the only source of righteous political authority in the emancipated nation. So what he's saying is, who the hell are these founders and framers anyway? Self-appointed, self-righteous, self-aggrandizers. Who says they represented anybody? Sound familiar? For Crowley, the entire process of popular sovereignty exercised through representative republicanism was illegitimate since it lacked direct popular voting. Now the irony is that the kind of centralized administrative state he and others advocate which surround us today is managed by a relatively small handful of social engineers and architects. It's all but immune from the popular will and completely impervious to direct popular sovereignty. Now, it's not my purpose to read the entire book. It's my purpose to set things straight. So, fork in the road. We have the patriots, those who embrace our history, those who embrace liberty, the Enlightenment, Judeo-Christian principles, and the great founding of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. They go one way. Then there are those, the quarter, last quarter of the 18th, uh, 19th century, into the 20th century, now into the 21st century, who've embraced an alien ideology coming out of Germany, coming from Hegel and Marx, coming out of France with Rousseau. Utterly and completely different ideology. They don't seek popular will for their ideology. They don't go through a constitutional process to change our system to their ideological paradise. They have to sabotage, thwart, undermine, and eviscerate that which exists to impose their will. They have to use demagogues and propaganda. And most of all, they have to use education. Along with Crowley and others was John Dewey, of whom I've spoken before behind this microphone. He had the greatest influence on education. He destroyed education. And we're left with the remnants. 1928, he travels to this new revolutionary country called Russia. 11 years after the Russian Revolution. Joseph Stalin is in power, consolidating power, having killed off most of his comrades, but not quite yet done. And of course, he understood the import 
of indoctrination and propaganda. And so he created this massive government educational system. Massive government educational system. Not unlike the critical race theory today and these other things being pushed by the NEA and others into our educational system. John Dewey was very impressed with it, and he wrote about it. That we should learn from what Stalin's doing in Russia. That the purpose of education is not just to learn literature and English and mathematics and science and so forth. It has to have a social purpose. There has to be a reason for it. It has to be attached to everything we teach. There needs to be uniformity in what we teach. We need to build a community. We need to go toward the same direction. We can't just be individuals going off on our own. Not if we want to create this this magnificent government and society. Look at what Stalin's doing in Russia. Now later, when it became clear that Stalin was a mass murder, genocidal maniac, which was pretty clear by then anyway, Dewey, of course, would, oh, I didn't mean that exactly. But Dewey took lessons from what he saw. He was the most important, quote-unquote, educational thinker of his time. And he changed public, a.k.a. government education for all time. He's a hero of the journalist schools in our country. He's a hero of the education schools in our country. Because he laid the groundwork for indoctrination, which we're dealing with today. Which we're dealing with today. So this entire movement is represented politically by the Democrat Party and parts of the Republican Party, like Romney and Kingsinger and Collins and Sass, I would argue, and people like that, even though they would say I'm wrong, but that's my view. But you can see it most fundamentally in Schumer and Pelosi on any Sunday show in virtually every classroom in America, regardless of what level of education. They have devoured our educational system. They have devoured our media system. And so it's one constant drumbeat in school, on TV, in newspapers, on social media, in Hollywood, in movies, and TV, and commercials with corporations. It is a constant drumbeat tearing down what was created subsequent to Independence Day. Tearing down the men who created this magnificent nation. Tearing down the philosophical principles that undergird it. That go back to the ancients. And go back to Judeo-Christian teachings. Go back to the Enlightenment. All of human history and experience is to be rejected. For a Marxist mindset that says, clear the slate, start all over again, centralize the power, eliminate individualism, eliminate capitalism that promotes individualism. Everybody must be equal. Outcomes must be equal. So we can create paradise here, right on earth. And those who do not conform, 
are to be eliminated. In the more aggressive Marxist society, that means death. In our society, it means character assassination, smearing, losing jobs, a scarlet letter. We cannot have debates. We cannot have free speech. We cannot have freedom of association. We cannot have competition. We must have one way and one way only. Otherwise, we cannot reach the promised land of communalism, a.k.a. communism. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. If American Marxism can have 10% of the influence and impact of Thomas Paine's common sense, and I don't pretend to be Thomas Paine, I think it will have, and you will have, an enormous impact on our liberty. Which is why I've spent so much time promoting this book. Now, this took a lot of work. That doesn't compel you to do anything. But I'm trying to rally and galvanize we the people. And these arguments have to be smart arguments. They have to be substantive arguments. This can't be some cutting corners type of comic book. Common sense, Thomas Paine's 47-page pamphlet was no comic book. But the colonists at the time, who were quite educated, read it. I hope you'll join us this weekend and jump in and get your pre-order copies for yourself and you're in a position to do it, family members and neighbors, kids, the American Marxism. It's a first edition if you order now. It'll show up at your doorstep. It's 11 days away. It's released just 11 days away. And Amazon has it on almost 40% off, a little over 17 bucks. And I shall return. He's here. He's here. 
Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. When I heard this, I have to tell you, my wife told me this, tears came into my eye. It was very hard to hear this. It's going to be very hard to tell you this. But I'll tell you this from the New York Post. A Miami firefighter working at the site of the Florida building collapse Thursday was among a crew of search workers who recovered the remains of his own daughter. Now, geez, I I mean, I'm upset. The the grieving father wrapped the seven-year-old victim of the last week's collapse in his jacket. Uh, placed a small U.S. flag on the gurney. The child's uncle was also among the rescuers. It goes without saying that every night since this last Wednesday has been immensely difficult for everybody, and particularly the families that have been impacted, said Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine Cava. But last night was uniquely different. These men and women are paying an enormous human toll each and every day. The discovery was made Thursday evening. Neither the young collapsed victim nor her dad were identified by officials. A row of cops and firefighters lined a road near the building site as the dad, his brother, and other first responders took the body off the pile. We can confirm that a member of our City of Miami family, a department family, has lost his seven-year-old daughter in the collapse. Miami Fighter Rescue Chief Joseph Zarbon told the station. She was recovered last night by members of our Urban Search and Rescue Team, Florida Task Force 2. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis addressed the girl's death during the briefing saying that these are tough things for the workers to deal with. Obviously, we focus on the families, and rightfully so, but our folks have gone through a lot uh, since they've been out there. The discovery of the youngster and another another, another victim brought the official death toll to 20. 128 people are still missing. I want to thank those of you who've been contributing to the Chabad charity uh, that I have linked to up on Parlor. I hope you'll continue to do so through the weekend. It's still there in numerous posts. Just go to at Mark Levin Show Parlor, at Mark Levin Show Parlor, if you'd like to donate whatever you can. Because this is still going on despite the other events taking place. And I cannot imagine anything much more horrific than that. Find your own daughter in a pile of the rubble from the building as you're searching for bodies. And 
for living people. Your own daughter. Good God. Seven years old. Precious little baby, you know? Uh, Let's see here. Great editorial in the New York Post. And we're going to have Eric Trump on in about 10, 10, 12 minutes. The editorialist Trump organization indictments are a travesty of justice, and they sure as hell are. And so much that has been done to this president, his family, his friends, his businesses have been a travesty of justice. I've never seen anything like it. It's a travesty, not a triumph. Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance's long-running investigation with New York Attorney General Letitia James into the Trump organization just produced indictments for minor offenses that almost never bring criminal charges. But this is Donald Trump and his company, so normal standards didn't apply. The company's chief financial officer, I feel very sorry for this gentleman, Alan Weisselberg, walked in on his own. Yet the prosecutors made a show of handcuffing him, his handcuffs behind his back, and walking him down a hall crowded with reporters to humiliate him. Vance acquired years of Trump Organization tax records, yet all he's found is an alleged failure to pay proper taxes on corporate perks, like cars, tuition, and apartment, any other company, and it's a civil suit, an audit, perhaps a hefty fine. If Vance had any evidence suggesting serious fraud, as press leaks long suggested, he'd have included them already. MSNBC hosts and Blue Check Twitter are slobbering, that the CFO will cut a deal and reveal the real crimes. Well, then why hasn't he flipped yet? Maybe because there's nothing to flip on. When it comes to Trump, liberals are giving Wiley E. Coyote a bad name. We'll get him this time. Just you wait. Thursday's indictment is plainly a bid to justify the vast time and resources Vance and James devoted to the case these last two years, prompted by nothing more than the ravings of then-President Trump's embittered former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who never had anything to do with the Trump organization. Trump's attorney, Ronald Fischetti, says prosecutors told him the ex-president won't be charged for now, but it'll plainly be never. All that Vance and company really have is partisan hate, not evidence. In more than 50 years of practice, never before have I seen a district attorney's office target a company over employee compensation or fringe benefits, Fischetti said. It's ridiculous and outrageous. We've seen the nation grow ever more partisan in recent decades, with each party starting congressional investigations into the other. But this is a new frontier. Officers like the Attorney General of New York and District Attorney Manhattan which should be focused on crime, not politics, have become inquisitors. Trying to mete out the revenge Nancy Pelosi couldn't. It's appalling and will only backfire on them. I hope so. But they had partners in this appalling activity. It's called a majority of the United States Supreme Court, led by Hollywood John Roberts. There is no way in hell that they should permit local prosecutors to investigate a president like this. Or an ex-president like this. There are literally, when you count local, state, and federal prosecutors, thousands and thousands of prosecutors in this country. 
There are about 15,000 or so localities in this country. And obviously 50 states. You're now telling prosecutors that they're free to subpoena president's records. They're free to subpoena his tax returns. They're free to subpoena his business's tax returns going back six, eight, ten years. While they try and scour and look for something, anything. Now, if this is not the criminalization of politics, I don't know what is. And if this is not the mindset of the Marxist Democrat Party left, then I don't know what the hell is. And the media in this country celebrated. Celebrated. Well, they never celebrate when injustices are aimed at them, of course. They're frauds. There's a reason why you hate them. There's a reason why the American people, across the board, detest the media. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Welcome back. Eric Trump, how are you, my friend? It's always a pleasure. So what do you make of what's been done to this this gentleman, the CFO, and, uh, and the effort to drag the company in as well? What's your take on this? Well, my take is uh, very simple, Mark. I mean, listen, you, you know this better than any person because you, quite frankly, report it better than anybody. But you remember 19 minutes after my father won the election, 19 minutes after the Washington Post comes out, they write a big narrative that this is the day that impeachment begins. And, and literally since that time, Every single day, the Democrats have tried to impeach my father. They made up the whole Russia narrative. They made up the whole Ukraine narrative. They impeached him the first time. They tried to impeach the man after he had already left office. I mean, these are vindictive people. They tried to take down Kavanaugh. They tried to destroy his life with, 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 you know, with lies and uh, mistruths. And they, they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. So now you have the situation where my father's out of politics. He's hinting very, very, very strongly, and, and that might be an understatement, that he wants to run again in uh, 2024. You have a president who is absolutely destroying this country. Um, the border's a mess. Um, everything about this country right now is a mess under, under his failed policies. You have Donald Trump probably stronger than ever with the Republican base because people are really seeing what they, they miss in comparison. They, they, see this as, they see the Democratic Party as being a wild, radical party. And so guess what they do? They weaponize New York prosecutors to come after everybody uh, my father knows. 
So starting four years ago, they started sending hundreds of subpoenas. Uh, they have three and a half million documents that our company has had to send over to them. And after four years, and literally, Mark, hundreds of people, I mean, the entire DA's office in New York, right? After four, four years, three and a half million documents, hundreds and hundreds of subpoenas, you know, 20, 25 people, you know, witnesses going in and speaking to them. You know what they have? They have a man who has a corporate car, and he didn't pay taxes on a corporate vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing is Cy Vance showed up at the courtroom the other day. And guess what he showed up in? He showed up in a government vehicle. I wonder, I wonder if he's declaring that as income. Mark, it's a joke. Uh, it's a travesty of justice. Um, believe me, Alan Weisselberg wasn't the fish that they wanted to catch here. It was Donald Trump. And they went through every tax return he has had since two, 2005. And they couldn't find a single thing. And so guess what? They go after um, this poor guy who is a phenomenal human being. They want to destroy his life. But, but this is the Democratic Party thing. Mark, this is, this is what these people do. They'll do anything they can to keep their power. And the sad thing is New York burns right now. I mean, you have a little girl in Times Square two weeks ago who got shot because New York is absolutely imploding. Crime is skyrocketing. People are fleeing the state. It's dirty. Um, all the businesses are moving out of New York. And this is what they're focused on. You have an entire DA's office focused on a corporate car. It's an absolute joke. And I, I think people really see this for what it is. Look how they treated this uh, gentleman. Um, look how they treated He surrendered. He came in on his own accord. He's not a flight risk. He's not a very physical man. He's an older guy. He seems very slight. He's been through hell, I'm sure, the last five years. His, his son has been attacked. His grandkids have been attacked um, because uh, they're trying to put pressure on him to turn on your dad. There's nothing to turn on. How many more times are they going to learn this? And then they handcuff the poor guy behind his back. They walk him through a row where the reporters are already there. If this is an abuse of power, I don't know what is. It's absolutely abuse of power. I mean, it's absolutely abuse of power. I mean, you have New York Attorney General, uh, Letitia James, who is on camera saying that I'm going to take him down. I'm going to get Trump. You watch. She campaigned on the promise of getting Trump, attacking his family, going after all of us, going after his companies. I mean, you should see these videos. I know, obviously, Mark, you have, but it's disgusting. She campaigned on the promise before even being attorney general of attacking a political adversary and trying to send him to jail. There was no there was no crime. She wasn't investigating anything. They wanted to manufacture a crime, and that's what these people wanted to do. They wanted to manufacture a crime. They wanted to go through three and a half million pages of documents, every tax return, every deal that my father ever did, and they wanted to find one comma out of place. And at the end of a four-year search, you know what? There wasn't a single one. And by the way, it's the exact same thing that Bob Mueller found after you know, the 25 radical, radical prosecutors and $50 million dollars. And two years of investigating, they didn't find one thing that my father had ever done, despite the promises from Adam Schiff and despite the promises from all these prosecutors. They can't help themselves, Mark. They know my father was an incredibly effective president for this country. They know that the people of this country absolutely love him. His policies worked. We had the greatest economy. We had the lowest unemployment we've ever had. Our military was being rebuilt. We were being respected. We were doing great trade deals. Manufacturing was coming back to this country. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I mean, mm-hmm. cities. I mean, what 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 he what he did for, you know, minority communities within this country. I mean, I could go on and on, and they can't stand that he did a job that none of them could do. Biden's been 
in Washington for 50 years, and the guy is a total failure. And a guy who is a real estate guy who built hotels and residential buildings came out of New York, disrupted their little fiefdom, did a phenomenal job, and quite frankly embarrassed the political elite. And so every single day they go out there and they try and disqualify him, and they attack, and they attack us, and they attack everybody in his orbit. And it's a disgusting game, and it's the game that you'd expect them to play in Venezuela. It's a you know, game you'd expect them to play in third-world countries. Not the United States of America, and certainly not the greatest city in the world, which is or at least used to be New York. And you know, Eric Trump, it's bad enough when you look at what's been done to your dad, you and your family, to your company, to this gentleman and so forth. But then in addition, when you compare it to how the Biden family slides with this abundance of information out there, when you can, it's not even a matter of pulling threads. It's a matter of following this massive amount of evidence. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. I, I, Mark, I ask that question all the time. You know, it's really interesting. We were in business. You know, we were a successful family and are a successful family. And we were doing business before we got into politics. You know, the Bidens did the exact opposite, right? They got into, you know, business when his father was in politics, when he became vice president. I mean, could you imagine if I sold a half a million dollar painting? you know, um, arts and crafts project that I did in about two minutes to a undisclosed recipient while my father was commander-in-chief, they would have my head. Could you imagine if I took money out of Russia or if I took money out of China, if I took money out of any of these places? You know, that's what I, I thought that's what Russian collusion was all about. You know, the only one that actually colluded with Russia were the Bidens. Hey, Mueller looked for, what, three years, and they didn't find a damn thing. Yeah, Hunter can do it, and he can do it scotch-free. So they're going after a great man, a great, great man, because he had a corporate car and a corporate apartment, but yet Hunter Biden has pictures of his, on his laptop of him doing very illegal drugs, doing you know bad things, prostitution, so many other things. His wife is throwing away loaded firearms and supermarket trash cans. He's lying on firearm forums and other things. You know what they would do to me? You know what they would do to mm. Don? Mm-hmm. We'd be in jail for the rest of our lives. They're going after a man for a corporate car. Yet Hunter Biden gets away with absolute murder. And it's, it's why a lot of people in this country have totally lost faith in the, the justice system, the legal system. And that's what separates the United States of America from every other country in the world, which is a fair you know, rule of law. But I don't think most Americans, I think there's at least half of Americans out there that don't think that you know, the justice system is actually just, is actually fair. And we saw that this, this week when they march a guy in, or worse comes to worse, it's an adjustment. They march a guy in criminally because he had a corporate vehicle. Give me a break. Yeah, and normally what they do is they bring a civil action. You pay a penalty, you pay a fine, they tell you not to do it again. If they bring anything. Now, how many companies in this country, and as you point out, how many bureaucrats, how many politicians have all these benefits and, uh, well, we're out of time, Eric Trump. I want to thank you. Your uh, father's lucky to have you and your, and your siblings, and, uh, and you're lucky to have him. You're a great family. God bless you, my friend. God bless you as well, Mark. All right. Take care. Eric Trump, he's a real class act. So is his wife. We'll be right back. Powerful.
conservative voice. The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now. 877-381-3811. I've been talking about this. National Taxpayer Advocate. That's a position created by federal statute. In an authorized report that Congress found, the IRS held an unprecedented number of tax returns for manual processing. I now think this is intentional. So they can use our money without paying. Well, they pay you a little interest, but they want to use our money regardless. For many Americans, still uh, Casey Harper writes, still waiting to receive their tax refund, it appears the wait could be far from over. The National Taxpayer Advocates federally authorized report to Congress found the IRS held an unprecedented number of tax returns for manual processing this year. And of course, where's the press? Leading to major delays and millions of Americans waiting months for their refunds. The 2021 filing season was the quintessential definition of a perfect storm, the report says. No one could have predicted a global... uh, Okay, so now they're full of BS. 35.3 million unprocessed tax returns. Four times more than just two years ago. Processing delays matter greatly because most taxpayers overpay their tax during the year via wage withholding or quarterly payments and are entitled to receive their funds. This filing season, 70% of individual tax returns had associated refunds with an average of $2,827, the report says, until the IRS can manually work through the over 35 million unprocessed tax returns, it will not be able to issue refunds to impacted taxpayers. Historically high number of unanswered phone calls, they blame the virus. Everyone blames the virus, especially the bureaucrats. Well, how is it that everybody else can do their jobs? How is it that everybody, here's the thing. We have to meet deadlines to file our taxes. We have to meet deadlines on quarterly tax payments. We have to meet deadlines on withholding taxes. We have to meet all kinds of deadlines that the federal government throw at us day in and day out. But they can't meet their own deadlines. You know what we need to do? Expand the federal government. Put them in charge of child care, health care, everything. Unbelievable. I've been talking about this, that it's going on and on and on. It's shocking. Absolutely shocking. And it's not a damn thing anyone's going to do about it. Biden wants to hire more people in order to hack us. In other words, harass us. Now, there's another piece of news that came out the other day. Something I've been talking about here, and rather than... Mr. Producer pulling up all the audio and proving, oh, that Mark is so smart. I'm not going to do all that. Remember how many times I've said in the past, I don't understand something. We're told that too much carbon dioxide is dangerous for you, right? Right? Too much carbon dioxide is dangerous for you. It's dangerous for the planet. It's dangerous. This, Okay. When you're wearing a mask... You're breathing out carbon dioxide, and then you're inhaling your own carbon dioxide, much of it. So I kept asking, I'm not a scientist, I'm a pedestrian, but as a matter of rationality and logic, you're putting a mask on your face, 
So the carbon dioxide doesn't escape. You're sucking in your own carbon dioxide. So here we go. Researchers found unsafe carbon dioxide levels reach after three minutes of mask wear. This is from Fox. Kids should not be forced to wear face masks, additional researchers argue, after a study found evidence of unacceptable carbon dioxide levels reached after three minutes of wear. I I kept saying, why are we wearing these things? How can it be that you walk around in the fresh air, but there's too much carbon dioxide, but you slap a mask over your nose and your mouth, you're breathing out, and then breathing in what you're breathing out, carbon dioxide, and it doesn't have any effect. And I said, at some point, someday down the road, somebody's going to figure out there's something wrong with this. And they have. A research letter published by JAMA Network by scientists from Poland, Germany, and Austria stem from an analysis involving 45 children who were 10 years old on average with ages ranging from 6 to 17. While open air consists of about 0.04% carbon dioxide by volume, the German Federal Environmental Office caps off acceptable carbon dioxide volume in closed rooms at 0.2%. To conduct the study, the team first measured baseline carbon dioxide levels without a mask for three minutes. For each mask, the the team measured three minutes of carbon dioxide in both inhaled and exhaled air, three minutes of carbon dioxide content during inhalation, and three minutes of carbon dioxide content during exhalation. The results suggested levels of carbon dioxide exceeded acceptable levels after three minutes by a factor of six. Hello, 600%. Averages range from 13,120 and 13,910 parts per million, whatever that means. The youngest children had the highest values with one seven-year-old child's carbon dioxide level measure at some massive level, they noted kids wear masks in school for about 270 minutes on average. That is four and a half hours. Now, the study has its limits, like its short-term nature in a lab-like study. Yeah, we hear this all the time. And it goes on. But as a matter of logic, folks, all the climate change uh, flakes and fanatics and zealots, we've got to get the, you know, the carbon dioxide, too much carbon dioxide. Too much. Are you wearing your mask? No, I'm not. Hey, the hell's wrong with you? Wear the mask. But I've been vaccinated, so I don't care. Wear the damn mask. And I kept saying, wait a minute. You exhale carbon dioxide. But if you have a mask, you're exhaling it, and then you're inhaling it. You're exhaling it, then you're inhaling it. At some point, surely it affects the brain. some point, it affects the lungs. It affects something. Remember this, Mr. Producer? I mention this all the time. Now what? Don't call Dr. Fauci. What a mess that guy is. Well, who should we call? Who do we ask? No, you need two masks and goggles. Remember that one? The great Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci should be working at the Gap or Macy's or something. He's really into what you should be wearing all the time. Not really into the science. Not really into the science. And by the way, don't blame the mask for Joe Biden's uh, infantile mind. He's had that infantile mind since he was a teenager. So the mask hasn't caused his decline. 
He's been in decline since day one, as a matter of fact. And then you watch Joe Biden. He's taking credit for the economy. The economy is on one leg. He's taking credit for it. Taking credit for the vaccine. Taking credit for the price of hot dogs. This guy's an idiot. And the people around him? Propagandists. Fascists and Marxists all over the world would be so proud to have Joe Biden's team of, of manipulators and, and mouthpieces. They'd be so proud. He takes credit for everything. What about the southern border? When we come back, I want you to hear a report on the southern border. Not by ABC, NBC, and CBS. But by the BBC of all places. The BBC. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. I want you to listen to this BBC report. Left-wing, government-run, UK, BBC report, which is run by reprobates, miscreants, and malcontents, but nonetheless, far superior to our corrupt media. Thousands of immigrant children detained in Texas in appalling conditions from June 22. Cut 18, go! An investigation by the BBC has found over 2,000 migrant children being detained in a camp in El Paso, in Texas, in appalling conditions. The facility at Fort Bliss is overcrowded, it's ridden with disease, with shortages of clean clothes and medical care for the children there. And staff working there say that illnesses such as COVID and flu have affected hundreds of the children in recent months. Our correspondent Hilary Anderson has sent this special report. Deep in the Chihuahuan desert of West Texas is a tented camp holding thousands of migrant children in conditions that are alarming. These are the camp's white tents. It's set in a military base. We weren't allowed near it, but you can glimpse it from the road. There it is. There it is. It's just down there behind these white buildings. These pictures are the world's first look inside. They were taken secretly by employees who are banned from filming or speaking about conditions. The tents are massive. Hundreds of children are crammed in. 
I'm texting staff inside. They say disease is everywhere. An employee has agreed to an interview after work. This is not his real voice. There are very significant numbers of kids with COVID. I know there were quite a few with strep throat. Lice became a very big problem. At one point, when all the girls were consolidated into one tent, the lice were so widespread that they actually had to put the tent into lockdown. And how many girls were in that tent? Hundreds and hundreds of girls. When a child gets COVID, their bed is stripped. Then they're moved to tents that at times, we're told, have held hundreds of sick children. This is a rare look inside one of the COVID tents. This 15-year-old spent five harrowing weeks in detention. He's now been reunited with his mother here in America. In the camp, he became severely ill with COVID and struggled to fully recover. This is not his real voice. It, it was difficult to see a doctor for medicine. And when we went to ask for medicine, they gave us dirty looks and they always laughed among themselves. Children wear wristbands. They're checked any time they leave a tent. They're marched in their hundreds to meals. The food was not well cooked. Sometimes the chicken had blood on it, the meat, the meat was very red. We were so hungry we ate it, but we got sick from it. The desert climate here is harsh. Wild winds blow sand, which breaks into the tents, coating the children. There's a shortage of clean clothes. The heat is relentless. Over a million migrants have tried to cross into the U.S. this year, mostly from Central America. Many adults are deported, but under President Biden, children may stay. Most have relatives here, but the system is failing them. There are thousands of children in this camp who have no idea how long they'll be here or when they'll be reunited with their families. And many of them are vulnerable children who fled their home countries to seek safety here in America. But all the evidence is that under the care of the U.S. government, these children are being severely neglected and in some cases put in danger. Downtown El Paso. I'd been told where to collect a memory stick containing secret audio recordings of a camp training session in which staff said children were being sexually abused. We have already caught staff with minors inappropriately. Is that okay with you guys? I hope not. An employee came out of the camp to meet us. She said the Department of Homeland Security had spoken to staff about a rape. This, again, is an actor's voice. DHS mentioned there was a rape. They're giving girls pregnancy tests. I also heard they just announced the results in front of everyone here. And I heard the other night that another contractor was caught in a boy's tent, you know, doing things with him. The authorities have not responded to the specific allegations in this report, but say that children in their custody are given the required standard of care and access to medical services. They say they're working to speed up the release of children to their relatives. Many children have been in here for over a month. Some, like this boy, have tried to run away. The 15-year-old we met sank into despair. I watched the days go by and I felt very low. I thought that I was not going to get out of there, that I was not going to see my family again. And sometimes at night we would cry. 
During the worst time, I was nearly at the point of committing suicide. This camp is closed to public scrutiny, yet the Biden administration portrays itself as compassionate and open. Staff here took serious risks to expose the damage being inflicted on children. But there are around 12,000 children in other camps around America whose condition remains largely unknown. Hillary Anderson, BBC News. Is this not shocking? This is a five-minute, 30-second report on the BBC in Britain. Is it not shocking to you that the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC, ABC, CBS, and NBC are not down there at these various locations looking at this? This is horrendous, what the Biden administration is doing with and to these children and to our own country. While this damn bobblehead buffoon of a president gets in front of a microphone and takes credit for the price of hot dogs. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Again, I want to tell you... Oh, I am appreciative of you all out there. I know you have better things to do. Maybe. 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And all other times all over the country, all over the world. It really is a blessing to have you there. And I hope, you know, you gain something from it. Whether it's entertaining or funny or substantive or what have you. And you really have been remarkable throughout my career, and you've been especially remarkable the last three months when we've really focused on heavy issues. I just feel it would be ridiculous to use this microphone and this platform for issues that are of absolutely no consequence while the, uh, while the walls are moving in on us as a society. And so it's very, very important here that we bang the pots and pants and ring the alarms, and that's what we do. We take the point. And sometimes it can get ugly in terms of the the attempts to attack you and me and people we love and support. But that is a very small price to pay for liberty. And I take my responsibility behind this microphone and the other platforms I have very, very seriously. I tell you what I think. I don't go behind anybody's back and play games. I tell you what I think. I tell people what I think. Now, sometimes I hold back more than I should. But other times, you know, it's just simply not possible. 
And your reaction so far to this book, American Marxism, has been remarkable. I've got on this microphone about every other day or so, I tell you how many pre-sales there are, because the publisher is able to monitor this to a point. I think there's only been one story on this by Paul Bedard, who's a great journalist. Hasn't been a single other story. But they're coming, just so you know. The attacks are coming, and they will be met by me and by you. And they will be hammered by me and by you. So we have this wonderful long weekend coming. And there's actually 11 of them on the federal calendar now, aren't there, Mr. Producer? 11 three-day holidays. Uh, In any event, it's a perfect time to... uh, to acquire your copies of American Marxism. We're not long from its release, just 11 days away. Hundreds of copies of the early printing, and there aren't that many, have been sent out to many of my friends in conservative media, hundreds, friends in conservative think tanks, various others. I can't keep track of it. The publisher sends them out. And... um, I will be doing a number of Fox programs with a lot of my friends and colleagues there. And we have wonderful radio affiliates and wonderful hosts, and we'll be doing that as well. And there will be a couple events that I intend to announce next week. We're very limited on how we can do events and so forth and how many we can do. Um, But I'm going to... uh, I've also done something else... Uh, to accommodate you in other ways. And again, I'll, I'll explain that next week. Now, I won't be on the air Monday. We will have a tremendous best of, so I hope you'll listen to that. Uh, and then again, starting Tuesday, it'll be just seven days away. So, this is the perfect evening, the perfect weekend to jump in. Have fun. Rest a little bit. Relax a little bit. Get your engines, you know, recharged. Because the battle is ahead. The battle's ahead. And we have to back each other. We have to stand shoulder to shoulder with each other. We're going to be attacked. It's the way it is. These people have their turf. They've devoured various institutions. And they don't intend to give it up. And I'll give you a perfect example. The state of Virginia was a red state not that long ago. This next election will determine if it's a permanently or virtually permanently blue state. But here we go with the state of Virginia. The Democrats control all the statewide constitutional offices. They control the bureaucracy. They have a very, very thin lead in the House of Delegates and the State Senate. It's much like the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. So they're doing everything possible now they can to destroy the state. Here's a perfect example From just the news, Virginia says local schools should eliminate gender-based practices under new transgender rules. Even events such as father-daughter dances may be discontinued under the new guidance developed for local school boards by State Department of Education. It's urging school districts throughout the state to work to end as many sex-segregated activities. It's sex-segregated. Isn't that amazing? 
and programs as possible as part of a recently promulgated set of rules aimed at accommodating transgender students nationwide. How many transgender students are there, number one? And number two, why does the entire society have to change for that reason? The department's model policies for the treatment of transgender students in Virginia's public schools was developed pursuant to legislation passed last year by the state legislature and signed into law by, uh, by Ralph Northam. You remember the guy with the white hood and the white robe and then the black face and then he, he apologized and then he said he couldn't remember if it's him. You remember that? That jackass is our governor. Now the law dictates the Department of Education is required to develop and make available new rules after which school districts are required to adopt policies that are, quote, consistent with but may be more comprehensive than the state-level guidance. The rules were quietly promulgated earlier this year but generated interest and controversy late last month as some school officials publicized efforts to come in line with the guidance. So I guess Joy Reid will pretend this isn't happening either. But Joy Reid is a well-known, out-of-the-closet bigot when it comes to issues like this. She tried to delete them all off her social media. And then, uh, oh, I was hacked. I was ha- No, you are a hack. You weren't hacked. The document offers, quote, information, best practices, guidance, procedures, and standards for school boards developing policies to address their treatment of transgender students. Why the hell is this in any classroom? The document advises that, in general, school divisions should make efforts to eliminate gender-based practices to the extent possible. You know, it's amazing. It wasn't that long ago when Barack Obama said he was against same-sex marriage. It was 2008. 2013, what is that? 13 years ago. Now we're pushing transgenderism in our schools. This is progress. This is civil rights, you see. Unbelievable. The new state rules also appear, and I'm reading this. This is Virginia. Let me tell you, this is happening in almost almost every state. The new state rules also appear to require local schools to permit students on overnight school trips to choose lodging accommodations that align with their gender identity rather than their biological sex. What do you think of that, folks? For overnight field trips, the school should not force the student into single occupancy accommodations that are not required for other students. So if a school says, all right, we have a solution. This young man or young lady, they're transitioning. So we'll have a special situation. We'll have them single occupant. No, you can't stigmatize them like that. We're not stigmatizing anybody. People are doing whatever they're doing. They're obviously making public whatever they're doing. They're doing it. Stigmatize. Stigmatize? By making special accommodations? What's happening here is what used to be considered, you know, standard, is no longer. Morality is under attack. Binaryism is under attack. Faith and religion is under attack. And your children's minds are being twisted into pretzels. 
These are supposed to be public schools that teach your kids how to read, how to write, how to do arithmetic, how to prepare for the next level of education and the next level of education. These are not supposed to be radical left indoctrination mills for the American Marxists. And we are paying for this. We are paying for the destruction of our children and the brainwashing of our children with the Democrat Party Marxist left agenda. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. And I want to be as clear as I can. I do not believe in discriminating against transgender or transgendering people. I don't believe in discriminating against anybody. Except criminals. I believe we should discriminate against them, punish them, and throw them in prison. Not let them out the back door. But that's not my point. We're not talking about discrimination. We're talking about turning society inside out. I don't like bullies. I don't care who they are. I don't care who they work for. I don't care what their backgrounds are. I don't like bullies. Period. So this isn't about discriminating against people. People who may be different than you. People who may be the same as you. I'm not into that. I don't believe in that. But that's not my point, is it? You're destroying educational systems here. You're pushing a radical left agenda. And you are harming other people, particularly young kids who don't need to be even thinking about this stuff. That's not the purpose of public education. That's not why you're compelled to pay your property taxes or you'll lose your home and wind up in prison. More from this great site, Just the News. Teachers Union agrees to promote racial, critical race theory, debate mandatory vaccination for students. I'm not into all this vaccination debate stuff. You want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. You don't, don't. I don't know why this goes on interminably. If there are places that require you to get vaccinated, go somewhere else if you don't want to be. But if there are places that don't require and you don't like it, go somewhere else. You know, we're a very diverse country. We have a very diverse economy. I don't think we need to compel anybody to do anything. But if some institutions compel it, then go to another instance. I just don't know why we're... I'm not. 
obsessed with this. I'm simply not. But I am obsessed with some other issues. The National Education Association, the largest labor union in the country, with three million members. And by the way, it's a labor union that is funded solely on your dime. But for you, this institution called the National Education Association wouldn't even exist. It's a Soviet-style, iron-fisted propaganda operation. And you remember how well they treated your children over the pandemic, don't you? Never forget it. That's who they really are. They're holding their annual meeting this week. And one of the most controversial topics up for debate is whether an organization will demand that all students be vaccinated before returning to school this fall. This union should have no say in it whatsoever. They're the employees. If they don't like it, get the hell out of the classroom. Who the hell do you think you are? We might go on strike. Well, who the hell will notice? And you lousy, rotten teachers, you bring down all the good teachers. And your lousy, rotten union, you bring down the good teachers too. They're smothered by this damnable union. Let me go on. According to the group's meeting agenda, that for a debate is whether the NEA will call for mandatory, safe, and effective. How about you call for mandatory education? That is, teach, actually teach in the damn classroom. Keep your social agenda to yourselves. Now, let's see here. They've already adopted new provisions that support critical race theory. According to the NEA measure, the organization has now agreed to lead and support campaigns. You and I are funding this crap union to push an agenda that you and I oppose. Something's going to have to be done about that. Wouldn't you agree? We're going to focus on this. There are no simple answers, but what is among the things that you and I are going to discuss. You see, when the Democrats get in power, they could be in power for five months and they change the world. Republicans are in power for five months and you can't even tell. Where are they? Have you heard from them? What the hell's going on? Nothing. They need to drive the agenda. They need to drive the agenda. And if teachers' unions are hurting our children, they need to be weakened. Something needs to be done about them. Well, let them go to court. Let them do whatever the hell they want to. Look at this. Virginia from Richmond. Oh, the Department of Education says you shall do this, you shall do that, you shall do that. Well, how come when Republicans in power, they don't say the the Department of Education says, you shall do this, you shall do... You never hear it. The union hates competition, hates merit, hates all these things. Whatever it hates, we should push. According to the NEA, the measure, the organization has now agreed to lead and support campaigns that result in increasing the implementation of culturally responsive education... Critical race theory, at least they say it. You know, you go on with this Joy Reid and she says, what, what is critical race? It's not critical race. Oh, come on. We're anti-race. You're an idiot, you moron. Propagandist. Bigot. And oh, she's all those things. Don't make me dig up all the stuff that's out there already. And a bully. May I say a bully? Yes, yeah, she's a bully. 
So there the, uh, the NEA is saying critical race theory. Both the NEA and the American Federation of Teachers donated to Democrat-tied causes before email surfers showing their heavy involvement in the CDC guidance around schools opening too. So Joe Biden is the plaything of the teachers' union, of care, of the radical Marxist wing of his party, of the immigration groups. He's the plaything of all of them. They know that this guy doesn't have two brain cells to rub together. And he'll do pretty much what they tell him to do as long as they support him. That's it. And the Praetorian Guard media, people seem to like that phrase now. Have you noticed, Mr. Producer? The Praetorian Guard media just protect them. Now, the national education has certain special tax privileges given to it by the IRS. All those should be revoked. It is a third political party. It is an appendage of the Democrat Party. It's not promoting education. It's promoting an ideology. And it should be treated truthfully just like that. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Radio Free America on the Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. All right, folks. Yes, yes, yes. Quick question. Why is Pelosi not allowing visitors in the U.S. Capitol still? It's a good question raised by PJ Media, Rick Moran. Why? National Mall's open. Smithsonian museums are open, they're crowded, sporting events are open, national monuments are open, tens of thousands of visitors are coming. She's limiting the number of visitors to members' offices to five. To five. The historic west front of the Capitol, where presidents are inaugurated, will remain closed. Why is she doing this? Families save money for years to make a trip to our nation's capital, writes Moran. It won't be open for the 4th of July celebration. That's a travesty. Washington Examiner, when the Capitol remains closed and visitors to members' offices are capped at groups of five, that's pretty outrageous. 
And since the Democrats first authorized proxy voting in May 2020, 13,757 votes have been cast that way. 84% of members have been vaccinated. The CDC says it's safe for vaccinated people to travel. So why is she continuing the operating the uh, House of Representatives like we're still in a pandemic? Democrats claim proxy voting was necessary because of the pandemic. Last week, they voted again proxy voting. Now, why is this important, he writes? This is significant because of the near-even split between the parties. So Pelosi wants the capability of casting every single Democrat vote in the House of Representatives. Not a single reporter at the Washington Post or New York Times has raised this issue. Not one. Not a single report at NBC, ABC, CBS has raised this. Not a single pantsless legal expert at CNN has said a damn thing about it. Members miss votes all the time, he writes, for a variety of reasons. But abusing the speaker's privilege this way shouldn't be allowed. And the House, therefore, is currently conducting the people's business behind closed doors. At the same time, committee rooms remain closed for many members. Can't get people in to watch what's taking place. Think about this. Nancy Pelosi has led an insurrection, ladies and gentlemen. She's led an insurrection. She's turned the, the House of Representatives into San Francisco Eva Nancy Pelosi's own little, little club. She controls the voting system. She allows proxy voting. She doesn't allow American citizens, any real numbers, to come in and watch their Congress at work, to watch committee hearings. She has shut down the democratic process in the House of Representatives. Chuck Todd, Chuck, yellow, yellow, Chuck. Chuck's probably right now at an Italian restaurant, filling his face with pasta. Chuck? And Mrs. Chuck, what do you think about this? Where's Georgie? Georgie Stephanopoulos. What does he think about it? Georgie's probably at the same Italian restaurant, stuffing his face with pasta, but he's probably in a height chair. The guy's about four feet, two inches tall. And that's in high heels. Nothing wrong with that. Just pointing it out. How about fake Tapper? He must be very upset about this with that constipated look on his face. Can't wash that off, folks. He's stuck with it. Their problem with that? How about, uh, what's her name, Yamichi? Yamichi Alcinder. She must be furious. She's got to be about this war on democracy. They've got to be furious, don't you think, folks? And I know the White House press corps has been jumping up and down about it. The White House... Well, the Congressional Press Corps has been very angry about it, haven't they? They've been confronting... Oh, they haven't? No. So who's running an insurrection, ladies and gentlemen? Oops. Do you realize I just violated the Virginia Department of Education rules there, Mr. Producer? Hello, hello. It's getting so confusing. Birthing people and non-birthing people and those in between, around, and below. And on top. I'm talking to all of you. Joshua, Sunnyvale, California, the great KSFO. No, Joshua, 
Do you know I lived in Sunnyvale, California for about a year? No, sir, I did not. They haven't put up a plaque or anything? <laughs> not yet. I lived on a street called Waxwing Avenue. Do you know off of Lawrence? Have you ever heard of that? I know Lawrence. I don't know Waxwing. It's just a little side road. And it was actually beautiful. It was quite nice. You know, it used to be a cherry orchard there, that whole area in Cupertino and so forth. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. But for the left-wing kooks, you know, it would have been nice to stay there. Anyway, go right ahead. <laughs> hey, so I just wanted to wish you happy Independence Day. Uh, congratulations on your new book. And uh, I just wanted to ask you why, what your, your opinion on why leftists seem to hate America. You know, teaching people to hate themselves, hate each other. Why? I mean, you know, I wrote about this in Ameritopia, and I think it's this. You have a lot of people. There's, there's many different people who make up this ideology and this kind of a movement. You have people who are very dissatisfied with their own lives. And they really can't look themselves in the mirror. So they have to blame somebody else. They have to blame something in history. They have to blame a group of people. They have to blame somebody in their life, whatever it is. So they're not going to take responsibility for anything. So you have those kind of people. You have people who are followers. And when you have uh, demagogues, fanatical demagogues, you can attract a fanatical following because people want to follow leaders. You also have people who want to belong to groups. They're not comfortable in their own skin. They're not comfortable in their own... uh, situation, I should say. And so they they want to join groups. They want to join groups. So they might join Marxist groups. Who knows? And then you have the leaders of these groups who are, uh, who are some of them can be quite evil or manipulative or whatever the case may be. They want control. They want power. Uh, it is a form of, uh, it's an aphrodisiac for them. And so you have a combination of these things, but they view themselves as the oppressed and the victims, and they have to destroy the existing society, successful people who demonstrate that society can function, particularly minorities who work their way up from the bottom. They have to be dismissed, and they are dismissed as, oh, they're just part of this group over here because they're not down for the revolution. So if you take a look at my first chapter in Ameritopia, I kind of lay it out. Uh, a little bit more detail than this, but I think that's what's going on. Notice when you hear Biden, he never talks up the country. He talks up what he's done. Notice the Democrat Party never embraces Americanism. It is a constant, constant, relentless fight to destroy our economic system, to destroy our institutions, to control the minds of the American people and our children. They don't want to adjust things or to address injustices or whatever it is. They want to seek and destroy. They want to burn things down. That's the best answer I can give you. By the way, is Stan's Donuts still around or did they go out of business? Oh, yes, sir, they are. Yep. Well, when you go there next time, make sure you tell the, the folks running it that Mark Levin says hello, okay? Will do. Hope they don't run me out in the ownership. Of the no, the ownership, if it's the same ownership, they love me. I used to sneak off and buy those chocolate ice donuts and uh, glazed donuts there. You know, they had a long line there. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Frankly, the best donuts of my life. Ever. Do you agree with me, Joshua? Yes or no? Yes or no? 
Yes, sir. Yes. All right. Take care of yourself, my friend. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Ladies and gentlemen, summer is officially here. Barbecues, beaches, fun in the sun, but what about those annoying dark marks and sunspots that are left behind? Our friends at Chaminet have the perfect solution for the summer sun. Genesel's sunspot corrector uses breakthrough ingredients to get rid of dark blemishes and sunspots from long days in the sun. Packed with cutting-edge ingredients and a nourishing, hydrating base. Delivers results you can see right before your eyes. Now, here's Stephanie from Fresno, California. She says, I have skin damage from years in the sun. Love this product. It reduces the appearance of sunspots and leaves my skin looking younger. Great product for my age. Folks, here's the key. You're going to see results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. Hello! Yellow! You're going to see results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. Order today and get Genesel Sunspot Corrector free, plus the legendary Genesel XV Anti-Wrinkle Moisturizer free when you order Genesel for under-eye bags and puffiness. Go to Genesel.com, that's spelled G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, or give them a call on their toll-free number, 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Order now and get a free upgrade to priority shipping. That's Genesel.com, 800-SKIN-604, Genesel.com. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we won't be together. It's the three-day weekend. Saturday, we're running a rerun of my Sunday show on Fox at 7 p.m. Eastern. My uh, Sunday show has been preempted. Uh, with a uh, patriotic show that I'll be watching. Seems pretty exciting. So that's three days where we won't be together. And I'm going to miss you very much. And I communicate on Parlor best I can. But I'm hoping during the three days that if you have not yet acquired your copies, that is pre-ordered copies of American Marxism, you'll do so. Because when I return after that three days, we'll only have one week left. I don't want them to run out of books. I don't want them to run out of first edition books. If you want to jump in, I would encourage you to do it as soon as possible. The price isn't going to change. It's almost 40% off right out of the, right out of the gate. 
on Amazon.com as well as elsewhere. So I'm just hoping we will continue what, what we're doing right now. We'll continue this march and that we are we're going to galvanize and rally. And with any luck, we'll begin to uh, claw our way back because we're losing this battle. But it doesn't mean we've lost. We can win it. It's time to push back. I truly believe the silent majority will be silent no more. And we're going to help our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and colleagues join us. Join us. This is our generation's, our generation's battle. And in your honor, America, here we go.
folks. The week is officially over. The weekend begins right now. And I'll see you on Amazon.com or one of the other online booksellers, I hope. American Marxism. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and a wonderful Independence Day. We salute all my little babies who've passed away, my dogs. Our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all the people working down there in Florida, thank you. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. Good night, America. Good night, America.